listening to Abiding Hope Church's podcast of our weekly sermons. For more information about our church, please visit abidinghope.org. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven? Or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later, he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God, the reign of God, ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, justice, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. So, in our gospel text, we've reached a place in Matthew where we find Jesus in the last week of his life. This is the last week of Jesus' life. And so, this text takes place on Monday. Remember, Jesus is, has the Last Supper and he's betrayed on Thursday. He's on the cross Friday. He's resurrected then on Sunday. Well, this is Monday leading into that week. Yesterday, which was Sunday, Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Remember that story where he rode a donkey and the people put palm branches and cloaks on the road and shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. And and after Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem, he went straight to the temple on Sunday and he did what we call the cleansing of the temple. He went in and, and he flipped over these tables and chased out animals. You see, what was happening there was it was the week of Passover. So pilgrims were coming to Jerusalem from all over the world. And as they came to Jerusalem, they would go to the temple to to give their offerings. And they would give an animal for a burnt offering. They would give coins for their, their cash offering. Well, they would buy the animal there to offer for the sacrifice. And the people who were selling them trumped the prices way up. In other words, greed was being used to take advantage of the pilgrims who were coming to honor God. And it was illegal for 
Jews give anything other than Jewish coins to the temple in their offering. They couldn't give Roman coins, Greek coins, so they had to exchange them there. And once again, the exchange rates were exorbitant, and they were taking advantage of people. And so Jesus came in, and he flipped those tables, and he chased the animals out. And he said, do not turn my father's house into a den of thieves, a den of iniquity, right? And so then after, on Sunday after he does, he goes to a town called Bethany. Bethany was about a two-mile two walk from Jerusalem. That's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. That's who he stayed with when he was there. So he goes to Bethany for Sunday night, gets up Monday morning. He and the disciples are heading back to Jerusalem. And on the way, he curses a fig tree. He sees this fig tree that had no figs, and he curses it. And the disciples were confused by that, but it was a foreshadowing where he was saying that anything that does not bear fruit for the reign of God has to go. It has to get out of the way. Because God wants all things bearing fruit for God's mission of life in the world. And he goes straight to the temple, and that's when these leaders, these temple leaders, they come to him, and they say, by what authority... Are you doing these things? Who do you think you are? Right? And really what they're, what they're asking him for is authorization. Who authorized you? Now, we really don't know how Jesus was authorized. I mean, we don't know who his teachers were. We know he was a, a rabbi. That means teacher. But we don't know who taught him. We don't know what school he attended, what other rabbis he studied under. We have no idea. Maybe he was part of a, of a group of Jews who had separated themselves out of Jerusalem. They were living out in the desert. They were, they were studying scripture, but they didn't trust the temple elite, the temple leadership. So they divorced themselves out, maybe down in an area in the desert called Qumran. Or what if Jesus traveled? What if he went off into the Far East somewhere? And he studied Buddhism and Hinduism and Zoroastrianism and Sufism. Who knows? I, I, I do a lot of interfaith work, and I can tell you there's a lot of teachings from some of these Eastern religions that you can hear in what Jesus taught. So we really don't know who authorized him, you know? You, you think about this question of authority. One aspect of that is what credentials do you have? You know, if somebody were to ask me, by what credentials, Pastor Doug, who authorized you to preach, to preside at communion? Certainly, I could refer to my, my degrees, the letters after my name. I can show my ordination certificate, right? But those are just letters. That's just paper. There's another way of having authority. Think about, for a moment, someone in your life to whom you give authority. In other words, you trust them. You listen when they speak. You give them permission to tell you the truth, to hold a mirror up to you. And the reason you give them that authority is because they've never let you down. You know they love you. You know they believe in you. You know they have your back. They, they hold confidence, in confidence, things that you share with them. They don't tear you down, right? That's a different kind of authority than having letters behind your name or having pieces of paper on your wall. That kind of authority comes from consistently showing up, from having consistent behavior that others 
can learn to trust. Now, how is Jesus going to answer the question of authority? You know, if he tells them who he studied under, they're going to attack that person. They're going to have a way of tearing those people down. Or he could say, well, I'm the son of God. Uh, all things came into being through me. You wouldn't exist if it weren't for me. And they would have had him stoned immediately, right? They would have killed him for saying such things. So how's he going to answer the question? He gives them a riddle. He says, tell me, was John the baptizer of, uh, from God, from heaven, or of human origin? And they weren't going to touch that one with a 10-foot pole. And so he said, I'm not, neither am I going to tell you. Jesus has authority in our lives. God has authority in our lives because God always shows up. Our God is consistent. Our God never quits. Our God never gives up. Our God is constantly finding ways to break into our lives and to generate new life. Now, bad things happen to us. And some people get really bitter when they go through struggles, they go through challenges because they think God is failing them. No, challenges, pain, death, suffering are simply a part of life. You can't have, a, you can't have life without challenges, without adversity, without death. God doesn't send those things into our lives. It's just life. What God promises is that when we find ourselves in those dark and dreary and painful and anxious moments, God promises to be there, to be right there with us, holding us, and promising us that new life is on the way. New life is coming. New creation is coming. The problem is we want it now. We want it on our timetable. We want it to happen quickly. It doesn't work like that. We're called to trust that, that God is there and that new life is on the way. That's what the cross and resurrection is all about. Jesus went to the cross and, and, and he suffered terribly, but he continued to be consistent, didn't he? He didn't curse. He didn't lash out. He didn't condemn the people who were killing him. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because again, Jesus didn't just see people, he could see into people. He recognized that when people are acting out violently or acting out rudely or meanly, there's something broken in them. He understood that maybe in those soldiers, they had never really experienced consistent love. Maybe those soldiers were raised in homes where their fathers taught them that domination and power and winning at all costs are the most important things. They had never experienced true, unconditional love. And so he just prayed, they don't know. They, they, they don't get it. And on the third day after Jesus died, God raised him from the dead, not because Jesus needed to be resuscitated. That is not what the resurrection is about. God raised Jesus from the dead to show us that love and life do win. That in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggles, God is there and new life is coming. And we're called to be people of the resurrection. We're called to be people who, who live with this deep trust that no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what's happening in the world, God's going to find a way to bring new life. What kind of people do you want to be? I asked the kids that question, and I'm sure you were thinking about that yourselves. What kind of people do you want to be? Do you want to have authority with others? 
Do you want others to see you as someone who's consistent in your love, in your grace, in your compassion, in your forgiveness? We have this passage from Philippians 2. We're going to put that back up on the screen here that Bob read so well for us. And this is St. Paul. St. Paul is really, he's the architect of the church. He, he's defining what it means to be followers of Jesus, to, be, to live fully as the children of God that we're created to be. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, what that means, consolation from love, while the darkness is there, while we're hurting, while we're struggling, we're consoled by our trust that we're loved. We're consoled by our trust that love's going to find a way. We're consoled by our trust that God's love is always with us, no matter what the circumstances may look like at the time. Any sharing in the Spirit. The Spirit is God's creative energy. It's what God uses to create new life, and it's with us and around us and in us all the time. Peyton just got filled with the Holy Spirit as she got baptized here in this water, and that Holy Spirit will be with her and around her her entire life. And when she struggles, that Spirit will create new life in and around her and use her family and her friends and people that love her to do that. Any compassion and sympathy. Compassion and sympathy means to feel with. To, to walk alongside someone and feel with them. To not just see them, but to see into them and to accompany them in what they're experiencing. Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And what's the one mind? It's the mind of Christ. That we're called to think with the mind of Christ, to feel with the heart of Christ, to act with the hands of Christ. As a church, we may disagree on things. We may, we may not be on the same page with certain things. But guess what? We don't get to be mean to each other. We don't get to tear each other down. We call, we're called to think with the mind of Christ, which means we honor each other. We serve each other. We build each other no matter what. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What did Jesus do from selfish ambition? Nothing. He, he fed the hungry, but when he was hungry, he didn't feed himself. He didn't turn rocks into bread. Remember the temptations? He, he could heal other people, but he didn't heal himself. He never used any of his gifts and abilities for himself out of selfish ambition. He poured everything out. He emptied himself completely for the sake of the world. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. All right, now I want you to think about that person in your life who's hard to love. Think of a person in your life who's hard to love, and I like to say, if you can't think of anyone, you're the one that's hard to love for everyone else. <laughs> it's one of my favorite jokes. <laughs> think of that person who's hard to love. You're not called to see them, you're called to see into them. To see past the behavior. To see past the attitude. To see past their desire to win or to be dominant. And to see inside there the goodness of God that's in them. The child of God that they are. There's no such thing as a human being who's 100% evil or bad. It doesn't exist. Because all of us have God's fingerprints. All of us were created by God. And all of us are worthy of love. And by the way, you want to change somebody, you're never going to change them by attack. 
You're never going to change them with violence. You're never going to change them with cruelty or meanness. Lives are only transformed through love. And Jesus understood that. That's why he loved even while he was on the cross. Let each of you not look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. How's God calling you to be an instrument in the life of another person? Your spouse, your kids, your sibling, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your teachers. How are you being called to orient yourself toward this other person in a way that builds them, that helps them to be whole and well, that encourages them each and every day? Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. There it is. The one mind is the mind of Christ. We're called to think with the mind of Christ, feel with the heart of Christ, act with the hands of Christ, to be Christ in the world wherever we find ourselves, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. Like I said, he poured everything out. Let's keep going there, Tyler. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've been preaching a lot lately about forgiveness, and I had a few people in, in previous weeks here who came out of worship and said, well, what about Satan? What about demons? Does God forgive them? Well, it says right here in Philippians, every knee shall bend. Every knee. There's nothing that exists that didn't come into existence through the Christ. So all things belong to the Christ, whether they rebel or not. They're part of the Christ. And God's love is big enough for everyone. Everyone. God's love has no limitations. Last page here. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Anybody ever gone to the doctor and they tell you, the doc says, uh, I think you need to start working out. Well, am I the only one? I'm the only one. I think you know, need to start working out. Well, we know what it is to work out our bodies. But what's it mean to work out our salvation? It doesn't mean, just like working out your body, you're not creating your body. Your, your body already exists. The same thing with work out your salvation. You're not you're not doing things to be saved. You're already saved. You've always been a part of God. You've never not been a part of God. It's impossible for you to be apart from God. That's salvation that we're interconnected with God, with each other, with all of creation. St. Paul's saying, now act like it. Live your life every day as though you're part of God. Live your life every day as though you're part of God's plan to bring life and vitality and love into this world. Live every single day as the child of God that you're created to be. That's what it means to live out your salvation. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What kind of person do you want to be? I'm going to do the same thing with you that I did with the kiddos. 
I'd like you to wake up each morning this week, and before you do anything, you take a minute and you think about who you're going to be that day, the kind of person you're going to be that day, generous, loving, forgiving, compassionate, gentle, honest, creative. And that day you dedicate yourself to being who you believe you're called to be that day. But when you mess up, which you'll mess up, the good news is you get to change. In our story today, the, the two brothers, the, the father says to the first son, go into the vineyard and work. And he says, I will not. But then what did he do? He had a changed mind. The Greek word there is metamelomai, which literally means a changed will. His will changed. What he wanted for himself changed so that he could then serve his father. The other son said, I will go, but didn't go. And Jesus is using this parable to speak to the leaders in the temple, saying, look, of all people who should know what God's up to in this world, of all people who should know what God's trying to get done, it's you. You got the fancy robes, you got the high education, you have the positions of power, but you think it's about you. You think it's about your wealth and, and your satisfaction and your ability to be in charge and in control. And you're so far from the reign of God. You can't see the reign of God because you're so focused just on yourselves and your own power and, and wealth and control. But those tax collectors and prostitutes, they've heard the good news that God is here. They've heard the good news that they're a part of God's reign. They've heard the good news that they are loved and they're following and they're caring for each other and they're spreading this good news to others. They're so ahead of you in the reign of God. Wouldn't it be sad for us to get to the ends of our lives and realize we've never seen the reign of God because we've made life just about ourselves and we haven't heeded the call to go into the vineyard, to go into the vineyard, to pour ourselves out in the same way that Jesus did. So the question this week is, will you go into the vineyard? Each day this week, will you go into the vineyard? Will you love? Will you serve? Will you be generous? Will you be compassionate? Will you respond to any kind of meanness with, with pause and with gentleness? That's who we're called to be. It's who we're created to be. And when we align ourselves with, with the way of Jesus, we get to experience God's reign. And we get to trust that love and life win no matter what. Go into the vineyard this week and experience God. And then come back next week and tell us how how you experienced it, what was it like. Write it on the Connect card. We'd love to hear your stories. God loves each of you, and I do too. Amen.